Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and we're going to get a little bit birdie today. We have with us Bob St. Pierre of Pheasants Forever and our product developer for Shields Outfitters, Ben Fleischhecker. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Very good. Very good. So, Bob, how about you give us a little introduction, um, who you are, what you're all about? Sure. Um, so, Bob St. Pierre, I've been with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever for 20 years. I'm in charge of uh, marketing and communications for the organization. Uh, prior to Pheasants Forever, I, I worked in the baseball world. So I, uh, you know, Shields resonates with me on a variety of different levels. Uh, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan as a uh, grouse hunter, um, moved to Minnesota, started working in, in baseball, and then uh, been at Pheasants Forever for 20 years. And um, some of your listeners may not recognize my face, but may know my voice. I'm the co-host of a outdoors hunting and fishing show on uh, the Fan Radio Network or KFAN in the Twin Cities. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to be here and um, talk about the partnership we have with Shields. Awesome. Glad to have you with us. Ben, how about you? Ben Fleischacker, been at Shields now for a handful of years and help uh, oversee all the product development for hard lines and soft lines for the hunting, fishing items, uh, as well as some random other items, different categories. So yeah, if it says Shields or Shields Outfitter, it comes across my desk. Perfect. So 20 years at Pheasants Forever. Yeah. That's a, that's a long haul. What, <laughs> uh, what sort of evolution have you seen over the years? Like when you started to where it's at today? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Um, so the organization's been around a little over 40. So I came in about halfway through. Um, the organization's ex- exponentially increased. Um, you know, it's, it's really gratifying to see how much of an impact we have on wildlife habitat um, at a local level, you know, doing work on the ground at the local level, but also our influence in Washington, D.C., on conservation policy, um, you know, we've evolved to the point where we have the second most biologists as employees of any company or business in the entire country. So next to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, we have the second most biologists of any other business. And that tells you that our organization is really being led by the science to put habitat on the ground and uh, help benefit uh, um, and, and you, the entire upland world for pheasants and for all of our six species of quail. Okay. I did not know there were six species of quail. <laughs> can you name them all off the top of your head? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, uh, Ben, can you? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. There's a better question. Ben, can Ooh. you name all six? Valley, Gambles, obviously Bob's, yep. uh, Scaled, Blues. Yep. Scales and Blues are the same. Come on, Bob. Oh, I don't think he's going to hit Cal- six. California. Oh, you said those already. Yeah. California and Valley uh, are the same. Merns. Merns, you're at five, I believe. Oh, man. So I think Pacific Northwest. I can see it in my eye. It's the is biggest it, quail. It's got great big Is it top two or just one? Just one. Just one. Mountain quail? You got it. Look at that. Hey. So- hey. There we go. So we got bob whites <laughs> got across the southeast and the southern Midwest and yep. Great Plains. They, they got the biggest geography. 
Then you got Valley or California quail, same bird, different name, <laughs> two names, same bird. And as you would imagine, live out California area. Uh, gambles, which is a desert species of quail, um, Arizona, New Mexico. Scaled quail, um, also blues, also cotton tops. They got a mohawk. Okay. They're really cool looking. They're nice. des desert, um, sort of grass desert species, live um, uh, West Texas, uh, Eastern Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, down that way, mountain quail in the Pacific Northwest, and then Merns um, live in Arizona and Texas, I'm sorry, Arizona and New Mexico, and that also has multiple names. Montezuma quail is mm -hmm. um, another name for Merns, so there's sounds, your quail trivia. Sounds like day. you've been paying attention I, in quail biology. I, you know, <laughs> we, we were talking, you know, earlier, we, we have to do field research, so you learn a little bit about uh, these different species. Field research is code word for we're going bird hunting. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I love my field research yeah, days too. here, too. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so... Which one do you think is, is the toughest to hunt and the toughest to hit? Of the quail species. Yep. Um, different categories. For so the toughest to hunt is probably merns because of their physical, like just the climbing of the canyons, um, like Arizona canyons to get to where merns are. They're the tightest holding species. They're like a woodcock. You can walk right up to them. They're wonderful for pointing dogs so mm -hmm. they're super easy to shoot but they're probably the phys most physically demanding to hunt um toughest to shoot i'm going to go with gambles quail uh that's because they're they're little they're desert birds they live in you know areas with a bunch of cactus and all kinds of stuff and they're track stars they okay. want to run are they so, are they one of those birds that see you from quite a ways away yeah and they're there's a little a, there's skittish a, yeah so like Gambles and scaly, scaled quail, they don't live in really dense cover. They live in open desert area, and they'll, they'll run to, like, mesquite or cactus, and then they'll flush through a whole bunch of cactus. And um, So you got to – they don't hold real well for pointing dogs, so they're a little bit of a challenge. Okay. Is there, like, a quail grand slam, like a turkey? Yeah, it'd be the – yeah, hunting the six quail would be the slam. So Have, have you got all six I in one year? I, well, I haven't – there's a couple I, I have not hunted the mountain quail or the valley quail yet so okay i still have to uh do a few there are people that hunt uh, all six in one year but most of those are retired people yeah i was gonna retired. say that sounds like a great <laughs> retirement project jobs. yeah <laughs> yeah you have to work in a few more field days if you're gonna make yeah, that right happen on, right? right on yeah it's for research yeah you gotta do that's it. right you gotta do it so um let's switch to let's switch to the pheasants i want to hear your thoughts on the pheasant outlook this fall so it's a it's a little premature to know exactly what's happening because right now state agencies are driving um their roadsides uh roadside counts so every year there's a um, biologist and people that run the same routes and count pheasants to get an index of how the birds are so what i can tell you is we we're pretty nervous based on last winter it was a pretty Tough winter for yeah. Judging middle. by the amount of shoveling and snow blowing right. I did, it was not a good winter. Lots of snow, lots of cold. It was hard on the pheasants, and a lot of people were worried. Uh, but the thing to keep in mind with pheasants and with quail is success for the fall is made or broken first with how much habitat is in the ground, 
But second, when it comes to weather, it's spring nesting weather that's the most critically important. Mm -hmm. So tough winter, which was hard on hens. We really don't care too much about what it means for roosters through the winter because ultimately you only need 10% of the roosters to maintain a population because a rooster can service a whole bunch of different hens, right? Hens are the key. You have a tough winter, hens are not necessarily as healthy. You want hens to be healthy coming into nesting season because they can produce more eggs. Um, So we did have a tough winter, but nesting season was pretty good. We had early moisture, which created good cover for nesting and created insects, which is what the chicks are gonna feed on when they hatch. We didn't have a whole lot of gully washers or cold, wet spring. It was like almost ideal for spring nesting season. Summer's been pretty good. There's insects out there. So fingers crossed, uh, the roadside counts that are happening right now are gonna demonstrate um, pretty good recruitment of broods out there for pheasant season this coming uh, this coming autumn. Well, that's great to hear anyways, mm-hmm. because yeah, like I was thinking throughout the winter is, oh, this might be rough. It was brutal. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, Mother Nature decided, okay, I'll take it a little easier on you this <laughs> spring, so. <laughs> well, it is, you know, one of the advantages of pheasants and, and of quail is, you know, if they have a good nesting season and that first clutch of eggs is 12 eggs on average. And if that succeeds, they can multiply their population times 12, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, t- winter can be tough, but if you have good nesting season, you know, you can have a hockey stick growth in terms of population from summer into fall. Okay. Well, you got me looking a little forward to bird season. A little forward? I heard you got a new dog. <laughs> I did. I got a new dog. And uh, I had mentioned it a little bit to Ben over there, and I didn't tell him the breed. And then uh, he hassled me a little bit. It better not be a golden doodle or a labradoodle. <laughs> and uh, take a guess what it is. Golden doodle. Nope. Lab. Labradoodle. Labradoodle. <laughs> yes. So I, you were on the money. That, <laughs> would that have paid out at uh, in Vegas? It would. Yeah, have. probably ten to one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Ken, her name's Penny. Cool. Pen- Penelope, actually. Penelope, congratulations. So, yes, thank you. She is. Uh, she's a little ball of energy. She's good though. Um, you know, she's a puppy. So, um, when's the best time to like start training and when are the, like, what sort of basics should I be starting to do right now? Either one of you. (laughs) Uh, The minute you get home. The minute you get home. Obedience. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is based on the obedience of that dog, particularly working on recall, making sure when, when you go into the field and you call the dog back that, you know, we've all hunted with the people that, you know, Snickers <laughs> over the hills, like oh, word, nothing shocking. ruins a yeah. hunt for, for, or earlier than somebody that can't control their bird dog. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Well, she's she doesn't like to venture too far, so hopefully, yeah, not yet is the key. Let her word. get comfortable. So hopefully, hopefully that continues. But I mean, is a, is a labradoodle a, a dog that I can train to be a bird dog? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it kind of, you know, not to, to open a book here, but it all depends on what you want out of your dog, right? So if yeah. you want a dog to be a proficient bird finder, then you should probably look at dogs that are proficient bird finders. Mm-hmm. If you want a dog that's very good at retrieving, look at dogs that are very good at retrieving. The nice thing about pheasants is that, you know, in general, I don't know what the percentage would be. I, I should probably actually, you know, study this a little bit more. But 
in general, majority of birds that probably get shot every year from pheasants are not handled by a dog. Like maybe okay. one bird is actually handled, but then the 15 other that got up 20 yards ahead or behind you or to the left of you are not actually handled by a dog. So you just need a dog that's very good at marking dead and retrieving to hand. Okay. Hunting dead, hunting the cripples, right? You know, Bob and I, we, run, we both run pointing dogs. And so the hope is that our dogs are out there actively searching, finding, handling, pointing, waiting for us to get there versus a flushing dog, which there are pointing, pointing breeds or pointing bloodlines out there uh, of flushing type dogs. But you want that dog to stick close, work, windshield wiper, back and forth, back and forth, right? But mm-hmm. essentially, I mean, you're just, the best pheasant dogs are the ones that can track and, and retrieve, in my opinion. Because okay. they, don't, they don't always sit. They're, they're, they can be pretty jumpy, right? If you're in a cattail slough, I don't want to run a point dog through a cattail slough. I want a flusher. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to have to go out there on a freaking death march. <laughs> yeah. I want my dog in there just busting everything up. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. So, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think, that, I think Penny's going to be a little bit of a princess since I got, <laughs> I got two daughters. So it's, it'll definitely be a, you know, a house pet and then a little bit of hunting in there. So right. I, I got my work cut out for me. I, there, there's a few things against me, but they can you know, play hey, both. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what? As it just gives me an excuse to get out in the field, mm-hmm. spend some time with the dog, shoot a couple birds. Absolutely. It'll all work out. Yep. It's not going to be like trials winners like you over there, Mr. Flyshecker, but not trial know. guy, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's dive a little bit into, uh, into the Shields partnership with Pheasants Forever. Um, you want to just talk a little bit about basically how it started and kind of where we're at now, you know, like we've been, I know we, we donated to Pheasants Forever for the longest time, but we've really, we've really upped up our game in the partnership level over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you roll it back about four years, mm-hmm. you know, we had been, um, buying inventory and selling it ourselves, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, through our own warehouse, our own store. And, um, you know, our mission, the reason we exist is, frankly, not to sell merchandise, right? That's, that's Shield's business model, right? Our mission is to create wildlife habitat. And we had gotten into the merchandise business to create a diversified revenue stream to fill our habitat mission well over time we looked and we're like this just you know is diverting our energy from what we should be doing and we came to our friends just up the road 94 uh you know from the we're based in the twin cities you guys are just over the border in fargo and uh had a real wonderful conversation about how can we collaborate and how can you help us sell merchandise with our our name pheasants forever and quail forever's logos on it and help us get back to staying focused on our habitat mission and you know here we are looking at uh, tremendous growth in our merchandise sales both in what our chapters are buying with our brand on it through you guys to then go and fundraise on so our banquet items but then also growth in our retail merchandise things people are buying in front of the hunting season which we're so passionate about you know running our bird dogs and buying dog vests and hunting vests but then also lifestyle stuff you know this upland hunting is part of my identity and this Mm -hmm. is what people buy me as christmas presents you know and being able to do that through shields has made um just a tremendous amount of sense and profit for us to keep doing our mission of creating more wildlife habitat 
That's very cool. And, you know, the product lineup is so much more than just, you know, taking a stock polo out of a catalog and slapping on a Pheasants Forever logo. I mean, we've got some serious quality gear out there, you know, stuff that's tried and tested in the field and, like, something you'd be proud to wear. So, like, Ben, can you just walk us through a little, maybe not the entire lineup because we yep. got a lot of stuff there. But, um, you know, maybe just some of your favorite pieces or stuff that's new and you're really excited about. Yep. And so, you know, for, for new this coming fall, the partnerships have grown from the national vendors, right? You know, the nice thing about Shields is at the end of the day, we're brand to brands, right? So we've got Orvis, we got Duluth Pack, um, Game High, Browning, Shields Outfitters. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Sims. Sims, year. yep. Sims is new this year. So we got some super attractive brands out mm-hmm. there uh, from actual pieces and garments. I mean, it's it's all over the board. You know, we've got some fantastic outerwear pieces. We've got some fantastic lifestyle pieces. Um, you know, essentially it's the whole kit, right? So a, a customer, a brand new member of, of Pheasants Forever, Quill Forever can jump on the website, you know, go to the Pheasants Forever uh, product page off of our website as well. And I mean, they can get outfitted head to toe, like legitimately head to toe from base layers to socks to outerwear to the hunting pants the shirts the shooting jackets to the vests we've got every type of vest you can think of you know and so it's fantastic because this is all you know co-branded with each other no matter who it is if it's sims or if it's orvis or if it's game hide or core resources or pheasants for or sorry of shields outfitters and the nice thing is that a portion of those funds go back to the habitat mm-hmm. and so it's one of those things that you know it's not it's not like any of us here sitting at this table needing an excuse to spend money on, on product, <laughs> but it's just that knowing like, hey, I can justify this because I'm giving back to Habitat, but I also really wanted this. And so it's kind of a two for one thing. And, you know, I'm sure like a lot of people out there too, like I'm not ashamed to, to support a Habitat organization on my shirt, on my, any of my equipment, right? I eat, sleep, breathe Habitat. Like it's all about the Habitat. And so at least I know my money's going back to the Habitat versus, you know, sometimes to someone else's pocket, right? That's not mm-hmm. supporting it. And something that I find super gratifying about the relationship with Shields. So obviously you guys want to help us sell product with our brand on it and contribute back, but it goes even a step further where if somebody listening here, you know, part of a youth hockey team too, right? They're bird hunter and they love hockey. They come into the Pheasants Forever store through our website, pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org, buy a, you know, upland bird hunting vest. But then they also buy, you know, some Minnesota wild gear or a new pair of skates or a fat bike or cross-country skis, whatever it is. And you came through the Pheasants Forever store to buy whatever you're going to buy from Shields. Shields gives a royalty donation back on that entire purchase, hockey gear, Vikings gear, you name it, back to our wildlife habitat mission. So it's not just... You know, hey, we just want to sell as much gear to the Pheasants Forever audience as possible. It's like legitimately the Shields culture is about, hey, how, how do we help environmentally, environmental sustainability through better wildlife habitat that's going to clean the water, protect our soils, create habitat for, yeah, pheasants, but pollinators and monarch butterflies and places for you and your labradoodle to go access public land love it that's a that's a super cool concept Mm -hmm. for sure so what is you got to tell me a little bit about the sims collaboration i'm not i don't know what's going on there please fill me in it's key pieces 
key pieces within their assortment that we've got embroidered with pheasants forever quail forever is it like rain gear stuff or what everyday lifestyle pieces that are oh, functional okay. from hunting and nice. so and that you know kind of the theory behind that I'm, i don't know if anybody ever thinks that wonders that out there in the, the general public but we try to make sure we we have the right products right so there's always gonna be some of those outliers that you know yeah we might sell a handful of those pieces and you know the the juice is worth the squeeze to an extent but we want to make sure they're putting the co-branding on whatever product it is on some of the top movers, some of the best of the best pieces. So that way we're getting more of those items out there and also giving more money back to the habitat for the birds. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a business model that I don't think a lot of people are necessarily utilizing out there. It's a very unique situation with Pheasants Forever and Shields, but um, we're very strategic on what we do with those products. And there's a lot of crossover cast and blast man absolutely you know the, there you go right the, the bird hunting crowd loves to go fishing in yep. the summer and mm-hmm. it sims is a brand that i love wearing in the yep. summer and the being able to you know rock a vet sims vest with a pf logo on it hell yeah yep yeah right on that's pretty cool i mean Bird season isn't open all year. You gotta you gotta keep yourself busy somehow. Dog season's open all year. Dog season <laughs> is yes. Season, I am right. I am learning that yeah. right now, for sure. So all right, uh, for each of you, what is your what is your one favorite piece out of the out of the collab lineup? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say the Orvis. You know, the entire Orvis lineup is really sweet. Um, there's a new vest. Uh, green vest that I know is going to be a kind of I'll put my blaze orange over the top of it. What's the name of that Orvis? Man, uh, the Orvis one. I'm not sure. Is it the Pro Series? Yeah, yeah. Is it the Poplin or not the Poplin? It's the puffy one. Anyways, it, it's a really cool green vest. Got the zipper right here, so you okay. not going to interfere with your gun mount. You can put your phone in there, so you can take a selfie with your dog and the rooster. <laughs> oh yeah, because I mean, I mean just, you didn't go hunting if you didn't take a selfie. Heck no, right? <laughs> it's got to be Instagram official, man. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Um, is that available for sale right now? Uh, yep. It is. Yep. Yeah, it is. Okay, well then we're going to link in the description of this yep. podcast. So. Sweet. So you can go ahead and uh, and check that out, and then uh, you know, part of the proceeds are going to go to pheasants forever. Right so, on. Ben, what about you? What's your favorite piece? Selfishly, it's because it's you know obviously personal to me, but the Endeavor series. Mm-hmm. You know, we're working on some new items. We got the Endeavor pants that are going to have it. Uh, the Endeavor pants just continue to to succeed for us. We're doing the Santos pant, I believe, again too in a limited run, and then we're working on the uh, the vest and the jacket. So all those are more of that higher tier. Uh, well thought out. I mean, some of the fabrications that we're using are just absolutely bulletproof. Not literally, but <laughs> weatherproof, I should say, you know, briar proof, everything else. Uh, you know, it's kind of born in the fire of the grouse woods all the way out to the Chucker Hills in Idaho. I mean, all that, the, the enti- entire system and series has just been, I mean, north to south, east to west, it's been tested. So it's Shields Outfitters branded. But. Perfect. I, I half expected that, but. I still wanted to hear it. From. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. I'm a big fan of the Endeavor series too. Like yep. those pants, you can tell that there's some serious thought and effort into it and it, they perform. So kudos yep. to you on, on the development on those. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's wonderful that we have a guy that's part of this collaboration, helping build gear. Who's a volunteer with the local pheasants forever chapter. He's got five bird dogs. He's hunting, rough grouse up north to prairie grouse in the beginning of the season i mean who better to create these products than somebody that absolutely embodies 
our organization. So, mm-hmm. you know, if he wasn't working for Shields, he'd probably be working <laughs> for us. It's a good backup. Yeah, you better not say too many nice things. I can I can see his ego growing. <laughs> it's not <laughs> ego. It's speak. Can I hunt pheasants and browse every day for four yes. months? That's but it's I'm pretty thinking. cool you volunteer too. So yep. thank you. Yep, thank absolutely. You. It makes a difference. Okay, so we touched a little bit on uh, quail and pheasant outlook, a little bit about the partnership. Um, before we close this out, I want to hear some hunting stories. So right. I want to hear each of your all-time favorite bird hunting stories. Ben, you want to start? Yep. So this one's tough because it's always going to go between a new shooter or a new dog, right? I mean, because we've all had opportunity, or I shouldn't say opportunities, examples of, of owning dogs at least, of seeing something that no one's ever going to believe or you just had to be there for it, right? And so I know there's 20 stories you probably have just alone, Bob, but uh, for me it was taking out a good friend's kids for the first time uh, I, I try to get involved with the youth as much as possible. Um, growing up, it's not an opportunity that I had all the time, but I was fortunate enough that my family did bird hunt. Uh, we did way more bird hunting than we did big game hunting, which I know is usually polar opposite, where it's always big game hunting versus uh, upland hunting. But we were diehard. I mean, we used to get so angry during bird or during deer season because we couldn't go out quail hunt back in Nebraska because you know you do not want to be anywhere around woods right during the deer rifle deer season. Um, but yeah, so it's taking the kids out, um, again, um, we kind of mentioned this in a different podcast, but a lot of my hunting, I probably say dang near hundred percent of my, pub- my hunting is all in public land. Um, I was fortunate enough growing up and then also being in Nebraska for such a long time that I had access to a lot of private land, but over the years it sells, it gets leased up. Uh, there's a handful of different leasing organizations out there right now that are just kind of chewing up all the private land that I used to be able to hunt because what, if I could hunt p- private land, I was not the only person that could hunt the private land, right? My family didn't farm at the time or anything of that sort. So knocking on doors to get permission, but they're also giving it to other people. So it's not public, but it's private, but also multiple people are hunting as well. And so to those landowners, it's more of a, why not make money off this? You know, so you can't blame them. But anyways, going back to the story, apologizing the tangent, but um, is watching them, each, each kid shoot their first bird over my dogs off the of points and just everything was picture perfect. And he could not believe they're actually roosters and quail. You know, like you assume it's a hen every single time when a dog goes on point and you're talking and walking a kid up there that takes, you know, 20 minutes to get there. You get to the point of like, okay, well, I'm going to go in there and, you know, the dog's going to stay st- steady. So you just go ahead and feel free to shoot, but just make sure it gets above the horizon. Like do the whole coaching, pro- you know, process just like you do with a mentor hunt. And it, it's sure enough, you know, it's a rooster. And then the next time it's a covey of quail and they're just picking these birds off and it's just, one of those magical moments I'll never forget. It's always been etched in my mind. And it's not, it makes it more special, I guess, in my opinion, because I do have done a lot of mentor hunts. Uh, the mentor hunts are typically done with pen raised birds because it's more controllable scenario uh, situation. But to be able to do it on wild birds with my be- best friend growing up, with his kids, you know, and just having everything come together, and it's just one of those magical days that never forget it, you know. Yeah, it's just that's one really of the memories. Cool. Yeah, yeah, there's just, there's just something about bringing out kids mm-hmm. and just seeing the look in their eyes and the wonder whether you just like you introduce it to them for the first time and that yep. that feeling when they walk up to their first bird oh yeah it's like yeah well, it's and, super cool yeah and it, you know unfortunately you know you do it long enough you got i got the same thing for a prairie chicken the same thing for a sharp tail and rough grouse you know and i got a guy hooked on you know uh a certain breed of dogs off of, for rough grouse hunting that he's been rough grouse hunting for four or five years never shot one shot some woodcock Shot shot one off of one of my dogs. Uh, his first ever grouse, and it's just one of those deals. If you spend any time grouse hunting, that 
sometimes you just you think you're just going to aim like where they're going to go you're, you have no idea where they're going he connected the dog came back with the bird and like just his eyes were just <laughs> you know probably shooting a case of shells over five years not hitting a grouse and it finally happened you know <laughs> like you're laughing because you know what oh, it's yeah. like oh yeah been yeah. there yeah exactly but yeah so i mean it's every species so it's just amazing because you know if you have that passion right it just you have so many memories mm-hmm. i can't remember every single bird but i can remember some special ones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah well my story is going to be about special bird you know and, and connected dogs i for me dogs are the cocaine of conservation <laughs> i've said i say that around the office and people are like you know cocaine isn't an entry gateway drug. <laughs> i don't know i've never used cocaine before but but the point is there's so many people that get into bird hunting get into conservation through the love of a dog and i had that with my very first dog of my own as a as an adult and i picture just crystal clear in my mind I, a photo that speaks to just unbelievable um, sentibilities of a dog. You know, we, I don't think we have any recognition of how powerful their nose is. I mean, they can smell cancer. They mm-hmm. can sniff bombs. They can smell blood sugar. Well, I've got this photo. I, my pup, a short hair, Trammel, named after Alan Trammell, if you remember Trammell. Oh, absolutely. My childhood hero. Um, so Tram had pointed a covey of quail. I shot a bobway, male bobway. She's bringing it back to me and locks up on point, and I can actually see a rooster. So think about that for a moment. She's got a quail in her mouth, like within an inch of her nose. So think about how powerful that scent is. Yet, here's a dog that's able to discern there's another bird and it's a rooster in the grass over here and she locks up on point again. That's unbelievable. That's pretty phenomenal. So right? like bird in, bird bird in mouth, mouth, retrieving locked back, up. came yep. back, coming back, locked up again, rooster in the grass. Thankfully, I made that second shot too, right? But I just, I think about that, you know, we don't have any cognition of how much power there is in that dog's nose Mm -hmm. it just that just illustrates it to me and you think about that and it all you know relates back to habitat those birds don't live there we don't have places to chase those birds uh with our favorite dogs uh, unless we have that habitat that's awesome and you know what that that really makes me look forward to you know starting my own journey with a bird dog now like, cause I've never, I've never done any of that before. Like we had a, we had a yellow lab at my parents' place, like basically got it as I went off to college. I was like, uh, yeah, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving a dog here. So they, they probably liked it more with me out of the house <laughs> and the dog there anyways. But anyway, I, I didn't have a chance to help like train her or anything like that. So it'll be really fun to get started with that. I'm looking forward to Take it. Take the pictures. Yes. Not, not just for the gram. Yep. Take them so, I mean, they, you know, like Ben mentioned, the first grouse, the first pheasant with that dog, mm-hmm. you will cherish that photo forever. 
Oh, absolutely. You don't you don't have to tell me twice to take pictures. I mean, I got the social media job for a reason. So. <laughs> you, you'd have to tell me to put the phone away more than to take pictures. Well, Facebook pictures. the shit out of it. There, yeah. there we go. Perfect. All right. Well, Ben, Bob, thank you so much yeah, for your time. Thank you. Um, yeah, if you want to learn more about this partnership, uh, we have... Uh, we have the portion of our Shields website linked where you can read all about it. You can see the, you know, like the land that we've done. Um, we've made donations to help improve uh, the whole lineup of gear. And uh, I'll link a couple of, I'll link their personal favorites too. So cool. thank you. All right. And, uh, and with that, you know, thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.